Hi, and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I'm one of your co-hosts, and today we have a cheery, fun episode for you, I think, I hope, <laughs> uh, compared to last episode. You know, we're on episode three of season four at this point, which is crazy because it's officially been like more than a year of us starting this shit. Like, yo, that's mm-hmm. that's wild. You know, our last one was about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and also shit-talking Crush so we have something better for you because we'll be discussing Dairy Girls season one through three, Woo! but particularly three because it's uh, just been released on like UK streaming services and UK TV. And we are big Dairy Girls fans, so we're excited to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Hello, my name is Renaissance Marie. I'm the other co-host of The Lavender Menace. I'm also excited to have a less ranty haterade episode even though sunny and i are haters we love being haters we do love to hate cunts absolutely that is our primary identity if you want to know specifically what i'm referencing you should follow sunny on twitter a sunny book twitter instagram youtube yeah <laughs> but anyways i'm excited we have some great emails and great from you to talk about. our amazing listeners whom we love <laughs> we love um, our listeners it's the, the only truth. people on the internet that matter. <laughs> <laughs> to us. <laughs> to us. Uh. To us specifically. This first email comes from Flora. Hi, y'all. My name is Flora. I use they, them, and I'm an agender lesbian. I started listening to the podcast these past two months, and it's been my favorite thing. Hearing lesbians of color share the same political views is quite refreshing, especially in the queer community. More on that later. My hot take submission is, I believe that the queer community cannot have solidarity when it is an identity that exists virtually in every class. From the rich white billionaires who exploit millions in the global south to the disabled black woman in America, there are queer people that occupy every class. Knowing this, how can the queer community fight towards our global liberation when many of the members benefit from our material oppression? I firmly believe in this society, your race and gender are the biggest determining factors of your material oppression, and sometimes not your sexuality slash gender identity. Additionally, as a lesbian, I face similar things within the sapphic community. Those who can date men make up the majority, and I find always have to bring up how they're still valid, which you are, but don't ask a fucking lesbian to validate you. Also, they appropriate lesbian terms like butch, femme, and even use dyke, claiming that they're lesbian enough. I also find that people use the word sapphic for positive things and lesbian for quote-unquote dirty things, like sapphic love and yearning and lesbian sex. Or even use us as an example of transphobia or their favorite, biphobia. I understand that as lesbians, our access of oppression is between misogyny and homophobia. We have no access to power, aka men, like bi slash pan sapphics. Our oppression is the potential violence and severe ostracization we encounter, while many, while for many bi slash pan folks, it's in their validity of their queerness when dating a guy. The sapphic community must stop centering and prioritizing men when many of them are deeply transphobic and lesbophobic. And I don't think they'll do that when they have 1,000 plus pins in their Pinterest board for quote-unquote sapphic cottagecore yearning when it's cis white skinny girls. Thank you both for having this podcast and thanks for taking the submission. Keep doing awesome work in making lesbian voices heard. Thank you, also, Flora so is a black lesbian as well. 
Oh, and they added, I forgot to mention as a black lesbian, seeing how sapphic communities center men and having to validate their privilege feels very similar to me of coddling a white person being performative out of their white guilt and not voicing my thoughts in fear of retaliation. Yeah. Which I liked that asterisk or that addition to the email because I have been attacked in my TikTok comment section multiple Mm -hmm. times for drawing parallels of my own experience of like Mm -hmm. men or people who are attracted to men and whiteness. And everyone's like, Mm -hmm. are you saying that race and sexuality are the same thing? And it's like, no. (laughs) But in my life, I have seen them operate in similar ways. But yeah, it is an amazing email for Laura. Thank you. Yeah, and obviously a lot of what they said is entirely stuff that we agree with and have said on the podcast, but I (laughs) also wanted to focus on the fact that, or I want to focus on how their subject line was, is is queer slash sapphic really inclusive? And I think they're referring to Mm -hmm. like those terms, those labels and identities. Something that I have recently decided that I find issue with and that I have talked about a little bit on like TikTok or Twitter or whatever the fuck is how I don't like the word sapphic. (laughs) I, I think that because it is quote unquote inclusive, that inclusion belies lesbophobia and also mm-hmm. is a very watered down sort of manifestation of lesbian and women loving women identity and reality because it's turned into more of an aesthetic it's a pinterest theme board as Flora said and not like actual reality for a lot of people and it's also i don't know obviously Obviously, it has, like, historical roots, like Sappho, etc. And I get that, but I mean, the way that it's used in popular culture, as Flora is saying, like, yeah, you say lesbian when you're referring to sex or people in a derogatory manner, but sapphic when it's in a more positive connotation. And I find that very frustrating and also a cultural phenomenon that I have myself observed, especially being on the internet within the past, like, three years, particularly. And yeah, I I think it is an issue because sapphic in itself is this word that it has particular types of like imagery and vibes and like an aesthetic associated to it that I'm not I'm really not a fan of because a lot of a lot of the dykes that I know really don't have that much in common with bitches (laughs) who are obsessed with sapphic as an identity or a label that yeah. is all-encompassing. I also think Flora saying that the queer community can't really have solidarity because it is an identity that can exist in every class is really real because, like, as communists, we understand that the world is fundamentally separated by class and class is itself the primary contradiction. And we can even see how it manifests in people's lives. Like, that is what... The greatest determining factor of what your life looks like period your class yeah more so than almost anything else and the way that your class relates to your racial gendered and sexual identity majorly impacts the ways that those identities play out because those are identities whereas class is a like material reality that has to do with what labor you produce or exploit 
and whether you have wealth or not. And these things are less so, are, are not mutable in a way that identity is. Because 500 years ago, 50 years ago, five years ago, race did not look the way that it does now. <laughs> gender did not yeah. look the way it is now. Race and gender are themselves so, so different across varying cultures, countries, civilizations, and they can be restructured in so many ways that are still fundamentally tied to class systems. And so that's why we think of class as the primary form of oppression. And obviously the way that it relates to other people's and other elements of identity is really important because you because that's obvious that is that is very evident in the way that things play out in the world and what you can observe and how one interacts with the world but that's also why like queer solidarity is itself the same way like gender solidarity um in a social context is not very effective when it is not paired with class consciousness or when class consciousness is not the driving force behind it because ultimately you mean what does supporting girls <laughs> liberation like what does hillary clinton have in common with the women that she helped bomb like what does fucking like steve jobs have with have in common with a trans girl who is recently kicked out of her home as a minor like this Kamala is Kamala Harris like imprisoning single mothers all throughout yeah. San Francisco and the Bay Area what does your identity in that way have anything to do with other people who share that identity when your class interests are against them and I think that is fundamental and because gender and race and class are so intertwined right like poverty is most likely to affect women right? Poverty is entrenched yeah. in the reality of black and indigenous and immigrant communities. Po like poverty is a reality that primarily groups of other people from other marginalized groups have to deal with in a really extreme and targeted way. But that's because poverty itself is a tool of class society. It's a reality of class society and is utilized as a tool of like maintaining it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this email. I wanted to go back to the point of is queer slash sapphic really inclusive? Because it reminded me of this tweet that I don't agree with, but that was doing rounds on lesbian Twitter. That was that I quote retweeted saying, why do some women express their attraction to other women in the way that men do? Like, you don't oh have God. to talk about I quote retweeted that because I was Every mad as hell. Wait, also, isn't did. the person who tweeted that, like, a massive transphobe? Like, a huge turf? Like... I don't... I, I, I don't know who this person is. This is my only is it, interaction. Is it at there. coffee, not coffee? I'm pretty sure yeah. that's who it was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They are they are insane. Like, they are crazy. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, oh, okay. yes. They are very, like, transmisogynist. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I didn't know that. But They're, like, known the in the trans the girl circles of Twitter as being insane. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. the rest of the tweet was like, well, you don't have to talk about a girl's tits and ass to prove how much you're attracted to her. I hate that so much. And a lot of people were, quote, retweeting, um, myself included, and, and you as well, and some oomphs about how, like, y'all want to desexualize lesbians' mm -hmm. sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. Like, w uh, obviously, yeah. like, 
lesbians don't see women in the same way that men do or Mm -hmm. straight men do because it is inherent to the straight men identity to hate women to objectify them to rob them of personhood of humanity whereas lesbians we ourselves are women and in community with women either or exactly or both because so we have no there's no material benefit in terms of just like gender and sexuality for us to hate women on like a social level in mm-hmm. the way that it is for men period too. Exactly. so like that comparison with, will never work it, exactly but i brought it up because i think that the way that sapphic is used now versus like its roots of like sappho is that this word is a desexualized version of lesbian people don't want to say lesbian because not according to lesbians, but because of men, has been used as, like, porn categories or is used, or is the language used when people fetishize lesbians and not actually talk about our humanity. And so sapphics, who are not lesbians, like, bi women, pan women, can use sapphic as a way to desexualize uh, lesbian attraction or Or when you're in a lesbian relationship. Erase the reality that they are themselves not lesbians because it's an umbrella term. The same way that queer is an umbrella term. Like, yeah, queer and sapphic as terms are inclusive because they are umbrella terms, but what they actually mean in reality, girl, like, (laughs) it's questionable in the way that y'all use it. I think that it's kind of how sapphic is going through a very similar trajectory as, like, people of color did as well where it was used in order to highlight the solidarity between like chinese american activists and black like actual liber liberators actual revolutionaries and the term people of color was used as a way to bond us and to not like say oh everyone faces the same oppression or to like flatten Mm -hmm, out our mm -hmm. identities but to highlight the fact that as non-white people we have a common oppressor and therefore we Mm -hmm. need to use each other and support each other in like Mm -hmm. real ways. And so sapphic, you know, tying back to Sappho, like one of the original lesbians, was used Mm -hmm. as a way to highlight that what should be solidarity, what should be support, Mm -hmm. what should be in community of lesbians, you know, being like lesbians aren't alone. People who are sexually attracted to women. It's sexual yes. attraction, guys. That's what sexuality is about. So to desexualize but, that shit is stupid as fuck because mm-hmm. the only thing that is ultimately bringing us together is the fact that we are sexually attracted to women and we ourselves are women or aren't men. Like, that's, that is ultimately exactly. what brings us together and to erase that element or also add and include the fact that, okay, well, some of us are also attracted to men is, mm-hmm. uh, it derails that's the that purpose. That wasn't the point. Right. Exactly. That wasn't why this word was used in mass or in community in this Mm -hmm. way. And so now people of color, like people are now turning against the term people of color, especially when it's used like incorrectly um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it kind of hollows out. And people are like, say, like, if you mean black, say black. Mm -hmm. Don't say people of color when you're talking about a specific lesbian or a specific experience and (laughs) don't say sapphic when you're talking about a specifically lesbian experience and because the people that face these like pinnacle points of oppression are being erased with this quote-unquote inclusive language and same thing goes with queer Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. if you're not trans (laughs) then you're not (laughs) gender queer in a way that like actually 
affects your material mm-hmm. condition mm-hmm. in the same way that like trans women who get clocked and then face violence because of that mm-hmm. are queer. And I think yeah. you talked about Sunny in another episode about how like heterosexual like single black women you know who are impoverished like their bodies are more policed there are more laws against what freedoms they actually do have than like a white cis gay man living in like a metropolitan area like they're not going to have as many laws barring what they can and cannot do in their time and I think that also highlights Flora's like points on like class but that also and and how like the queer community can't have real solidarity but it's also very similar like rich black people are not the liberators of black people like Beyonce and Jay-Z as much as I stream Lemonade like that's not leading to black liberation Oprah Winfrey is not leading us to liberation and so you can also say that like Black people, even within our own community, cannot fully have solidarity if we don't have class traders. Like, if the Obamas <laughs> were not who they are, you know, like, yeah. then we're not actually going to have solidarity, which then highlights what Sunny and I say multiple times on the podcast and why we are actual communists is because <laughs> we recognize that class is the primary contradiction of society. Mm-hmm. That unless mm-hmm. you either have class consciousness or do in our class traders, such as like, rich gay people, rich black people, rich women, like women who are CEOs who exploit Mm -hmm. other people, like that gender solidarity, that queer solidarity, that racial solidarity doesn't actually mean anything or lead to any liberation when it's not paired with class consciousness or class solidarity as Mm -hmm. well. And that's also why people who like to call us rad femmes and make us laugh, or like people who call us rad femmes, yeah. make us giggle a little bit. Because yeah. if, if whole, when we like, radically say that this is our politic, it's is impossible itself, for us to also be rad femmes. Yeah. Like, radical feminism is itself, in its origins, a reaction to Marxism. Mm-hmm. The reason why mm-hmm. radical feminism as an ideological, theoretical concept emerged was because instead of pointing to class society as the origin of like oppression and human evil, they sort of point towards the oppression of women on the basis of sex as the as the foremost, the originator of oppressive systems that we live under today. We would fundamentally disagree with. And not to say that mm-hmm. there is an overlap in ideology, but I think that the way that it's it's sort of similar to like the way that liberals oppose racism it's like yeah like you oppose racism um communists also (laughs) do and or should but like not for really the same reasons and i think it's very similar to like radical feminists who oppose patriarchy but not necessarily for the same reasons or with the idea of the same outcome as as communists per se and i also think like most radical feminists don't really have a strict or contingent or really uh, significant or constitutive idea of what a, a world without oppression would necessarily look like. They're, they are, it seems to me that they're more reactive to the realities of patriarchy in our day and throughout history in their conclusions to like what the future could 
hold like this idea like I think a big rad femme twitter handle is like at like dickless society or whatever it's like this is a thing <laughs> this is not materialist the reality yeah. is is that there are people there will always be people who have penises in our society but what are the social structures that make it so that these people are dominant to people who don't and like how were they constructed and who does it benefit besides just them because like there, there's more, obviously there's more complicated things at play here. And it also just goes to show that like, I think a common argument that sort of used is like, well, like patriarchy predates capitalism. And it's like, well, feudalism predates capitalism. <laughs> like, and it's not like yeah. that was slay and awesome either. And not to say that, <laughs> like, and that's also why communists aren't aren't idealists and don't believe in a utopian society exactly and you know marx Engels, every all the all the big commies who are writing in the 19th century were like directly address this because the reality is is that we've never lived in a world without class every society that we that has ever existed in this world has had an element of class society to it so like and to varying degrees and that manifest and mm-hmm. also you can see that in like how gender was different throughout history and in different cultures i mean to this day but like it's all I, I this is why i think that people people should read <laughs> <laughs> Not this being the foremost conclusion we come to every single time. I wonder why that is. I wonder why. (laughs) And also, it's like, even looking at, like, how there's always been class, class divisions have been different. And the wealth disparities Mm -hmm. were less than what they are today. Like, Mm -hmm. the shit that sparks the French Revolution was less less than extreme the shit that we're than what's going on right now. Like come right on. now. And they were beheading motherfuckers in the streets. The French mm-hmm. the current French national anthem is about how blood was running down the streets of France <laughs> and how many beheadings there were yeah. during the revolution. Like and they were dealing with less shit than w- with what's happening right now in terms of wealth disparity. So like that is why class is so forward but again you know that has to be paired with gender solidarity like if you recognize if you have class consciousness then you have to recognize how women are gendered class you have to recognize how queer people like how different people interact with class systems in different ways that are very particular to like there's a particular way of sexual exploitation that women face under capitalism, under class society, in class society. And so many Marxists have written about this. So many feminist Marxists. And this is the other thing. Like, I don't think a lot of people who don't engage with theory understand that there are many theorists that that have additions to, additives to, and contentions with the original, like, the, the, what Marx is saying, right? Because Marx was not thinking about women when he was writing his, his massive analysis of how <laughs> capitalism works, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, why would he? Um, <laughs> why would he? Yeah. He's not a woman. But his uh, daughter wrote about <laughs> how women are uniquely oppressed under class society. And then 20th century and current day communists write about the way that 
women are uniquely oppressed under class society. Current day and and historic queer liberation movement movement leaders and people in solidarity and in community with these people have always engaged with this because at a certain point you will run into like it, when you get involved in any type of social justice shit if you care about the state of like women or people of color or queer people or whatever you're going to run headfirst into this issue of class at one point or mm -hmm. another and I think it's that, impossible yeah. to not, which right. I find interesting that this is so blatant because one of the biggest points that I saw when the leak came out about Roe v. Wade and points before the leak and, and since then is that about how like Republican senators or Congress people's like mistresses will always be able to have an abortion, like no matter mm -hmm. whether yeah. or not they support abortion rights or whatever, like mm -hmm their 16-year-old daughter is always going to have access mm -hmm. to safe abortion. Their mistresses are always going to have access to an abortion. Yeah. Regardless. The, the, the closeted senators and, are still going to be able to link up with dudes on Grindr regardless of whether they support exactly. legislation that supports trans and gay people. You know, like, and that's if, the reality. And if this is so well known, if this is such a repetitive talking point of abortion rights activists, wouldn't that then make it clear that class is the primary contradiction of mm -hmm. the women who do have abortions and the women who do not have access to abortions? Mm. That would be class. And yet yeah. we have a lot of people who talk about these things who do not have class consciousness, who do not center specifically analyzing class society in this way in order to express or in order to hold solidarity with these other groups um which is why yeah. to me like picking and choosing what you care about doesn't matter to me you'll always fall short in one way or another like people are like oh i'm a hashtag ally and then just like mm -hmm. repost infographics or whatever mm -hmm. like to me that doesn't mean anything that doesn't mean more or less than any other person than not saying the anything the street. <laughs> to be yeah, honest not saying right. anything it, to me, pretty much the equivalent because you are f lacking, like, why this keeps happening. Why there isn't change. Everyone's like, oh, Jay, I can't believe this is happening again. Well, we have yet to actually address what the issue is here. We yeah, have yet what to address fascism. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's raging, like, the raging amount of fascism. Like, yeah. the products and the results of living in a class society. But anyways, yeah. I hope that answered your <laughs> questions or that thoroughly <laughs> responded to your amazing email Flora. thank you very much yeah so sunny do you have... want to read the next one yeah so we have an email from cam they them lesbians can use she they say i am going to cover a couple points in this email slash think piece they are as <laughs> follows one lesbophobia is so real in ways other sapphics will literally never understand because of our lack of attraction to men Parenthesis story time. You have both discussed it before, but it bears repeating, I guess, because you're yet again <laughs> right on the money whenever you discuss biphobia, quote unquote, and the difference between imagined oppression and material reality. Two, the coveted hot take mentions clockability politics, the need to be seen as gay with special guest biphobia. All right. So basically they go on to talk about how they were working as a hostess and essentially the only person who wasn't like a man in the kitchen, I think, was someone who was like mass presenting and 
some other cook was talking to this person and was like, you know, I could make out with your girlfriend if I wanted, which is like, you know. And then after Sus. after Cam witnessed that, they were like, <laughs> some someone, one of her coworkers was like, um, is told, asked Cam, oh, do you think this other host, this guy, was like cute? And Cam responded, oh, I wouldn't know. I like girls. And their coworker was like, oh, but you're so young. And Cam is 17, by the way. And yeah. so obviously that like made them mad. And they say, this pissed me off for numerous reasons. One, I was mad at myself for even coming out to her like that in the first place. Two, because I shouldn't have been talked to like that. And three, because I'm so angry that lesbians are treated like this. If I was bi or pan, I could get away with not betraying myself and saying, I thought he was cute. As a lesbian, I had to choose between lying or facing rejection from a workplace because of who I was and wasn't ashamed of it. I ended up quitting because I literally couldn't take the shame and anxiety of being semi out at work, but also closeted and the eventual fear that people would find out and treat me like shit for it. So yeah, and then they were basically like, that's why I laugh when people get all worked up about about biphobia because it's the difference between having interpersonal drama and beef with someone and literally existing in a system of oppression that fetishizes or hates you every second of the day. And then they say in their hot take that being perceived as queer literally won't slash doesn't matter to social justice warrior infographic girlies <laughs> once they get into their material liberation era. I was always into queer liberation when I was straight cis identifying, but when I was when I was bi cis identifying and now as a non-binary lesbian, as long as I've known queer oppression exists, I've tried to be a part of the fight. I took different forms over years, but I found it hinged a lot on social media and quote unquote raising awareness when I was in my cis bi era. As a bi infographic girly, I had so much insecurity about my queerness. Even though I was shouting it from the rooftops of my Instagram story, I was obsessed with quote unquote dressing gay, having a gay haircut. I lost so much insecurity around my queerness and not feeling quote queer enough as soon as I started taking action to fight queer oppression in small ways around in my community even before I came out as a lesbian. I think that people, specifically white queer people, cell phone, <laughs> who want so <laughs> desperately to be clocked as queer are putting energy into the wrong things. The ones who formulate social media posts, useless trends, the genocide trend on TikTok where bi girls lip sync the F-slur to quote unquote come out is coming to mind. Cuff their G's, have up their legs and participate in rainbow capitalism you're fucking around. Should put that energy into organizing with their local queer leftists or just organize with their friends or themselves and do something offline that might actually help queer people in their community, like mutual aid and revolutionary education. Honestly, I think the issue is that when people hear the words organize, it scares them. They can't think creatively about how to help their community in a material way. This honestly goes further than touching grass because some of these people are so entrenched in their own victimhood, they will become the chronically online, ooh, ooh you're valid, fight by phobia, <laughs> Harry Styles is a revolutionary, I'm going to get hate crime for being fruity, parentheses, watch off the eyeliner, you're not, ass bitches, we love to hate. <laughs> right, so, um, yeah, so thank you so much for your email, Cam. Yeah, I'm really sorry that this happened to you at your workplace. A lot of my friends who have worked as like hostesses or waitress waitresses or servers or whatever also have that have also had that issue of like being sexually harassed by the elderly men that are the primary customers of said workplace or like feeling weird about the ways that co-workers talk about people especially in relation to gender and I think like 
it's, it is itself another like manifestation of what we're talking about, about like how class and gender play out in like the real world. Because ultimately, yeah. when you're in a position of having to like literally serve someone as someone who's working at an establishment, they like have so much more power than you. And also when you're with coworkers and like you have to work with them, it's like whether they hate you or not based on your identity and something you can't you can choose to contain within yourself, but also you can't really change is it's like it is really scary. The conclusion of the fact that being like a lesbian kind of goes further than oh like I like girls <laughs> because when you respond with that sort of sort of answer when people are asking you about what you think about like men or boys or whatever it is it does put you on the spot because it's like yeah what am I supposed to say about this um mm -hmm. because I either show my hand or I like have to keep this to myself um and yeah I think it kind of shows how with the way that people treat lesbians, particularly like gender non-conforming, like visibly gender non-conforming lesbians in particularly like workplaces and workplace dynamics where you can't escape it unless you quit. Um, it's like, it's really gross and it's really frustrating when you compare that to like the the people who don't touch grass, as, <laughs> as Cam is mentioning in the email. And of course, I think we've all been through our infographic phase. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that that itself is also kind of like a funny thing that has to do with the era of like social media that we live in now and how the ways that people use it be like constantly changing, I guess. I don't know. I I think that people sort of talking about things on social media and like organizing, these two things don't necessarily have to be like separate or mutually exclusive. I just think that when you're putting all of your time and energy into one thing, when it doesn't actually affect the real people that you know in your day-to-day -day life in any meaningful way, it becomes an endless cycle of like frustration. Like the only reason why I am able to engage with the amount of bullshit discourse that happens on the <laughs> internet on a regular basis is because I do touch a grass. Um, and I do like actually, like my all of my in real life friends are people who also have the critical thinking skills that anyone could acquire that I happen to have, you know? So, yeah. like, and it's also people that I've connected with through organizing in real life. It's just, it's hard, and it's, it's, it's hard for people to really, like, think about that or see that or imagine that when so much of, like, young people's worlds are really sucked into and tied to the internet, which has become a almost safe space that is very contentious and frustrating for like certain groups of people like queer people and people who are interested in like social justice or whatever. I think there's something about like the efficiency of social media that can't be completely erased when talking about like oh infographic girlies are annoying or whatever because infographics the reason why infographics were 
started to get shitted on is because they would water down or spread misinformation very easily. But then again, that comes down to the content, not the fact that it's an infographic itself, because you can make an infographic of anything, which is kind of the point. But like, yeah, I, I repost things on my Instagram story, yeah. not because I think infographics are useless, but because the actual content that's in it that I don't think paints the whole picture, but kind of points people into thinking in a different way. Yeah. And in order to get the attention of these infographic girlies, you're going to have to post an infographic that <laughs> contradicts yeah. or that counters what information they're spreading, which is just my take on that. I don't do it as much as I used to. Like infographic girlies is a different breed of people. We go through that mm. era, like tens yeah. and tens of infographics on your story. <laughs> day. Like give the people a break, give them a rest. Um, <laughs> right. Give it a rest. But it's also like you can tell when some based off of the things that people post, at least from my perspective, how mm-hmm. much they are actually engaging with this stuff offline and I don't mean offline in terms of like actual materials itself existing off the internet but rather off of social media as a place to interact with other people Mm -hmm. because it's very clear to me when someone talks in a way and uses social media in a way that reveals that they are coming to these conclusions and reposting things or amplifying information or or like whatever based off of the fact that they have their own very well-formulated opinions and ideas based on, like, study, struggle, work that is necessary to have a coherent understanding of these things when a lot of people sort of use the infographic, the Instagram infographic industrial complex to replace (laughs) that study. There's no... And Which is why people this. get mad at us when we say that, oh, like, or at least this happened to me. I'm like, I, you haven't read what is necessary for me to have yeah. this conversation, like, online with strangers online. Like, yeah. You haven't like, done the reading. Why asking, are you engaging? In order for this to be a fruitful conversation, we'd have to be coming at it from at least some form of mutual understanding. And because my perspectives are based off of readings that I have done and this person who's fighting me is like you wouldn't even be and asking me these questions if you had read this text like mm-hmm. it, the the basis of this would be different and so when I see people engage online or have questions or have takes on things that would ultimately be dispelled if they had read a certain piece of theory or a certain text or a certain genre of theory then it's difficult for me to engage. Whereas, like, when I post infographics or when you repost things on your story, it's because we've already read these things outside of, like, Twitter discourse. And Mm -hmm. this is something that, oh, if you've read this, then you already know what it's referencing or what it's pulling from. Or it's an entry point to something more significant. Exactly. But people use infographics as a way to replace like the actual yeah. like you still have to and we talk about this like multiple times because we talk yeah. about theory and we were also time, talking but... about this in our most recent patreon bonus episode our second mm-hmm. patreon bonus episode of the month where i was just ranting and raving about how annoying i find it to have these repetitive and constant conversations on the internet with people mm-hmm. who refuse to do de- to do a deeper dive on the shit that they want to 
talk about extensively on the internet because yeah. if you want if you want to actually know what the fuck you're talking about shouldn't you engage with the centuries the decades of work around this like why do you think that you as a single person innately or from your own personal experiences have the knowledge and understanding that people who literally have studied history people who have literally led revolutions people who have literally won revolutions don't like like can't offer you it's very evident that the that people who haven't engaged with what are the literal playbooks of and the actual <laughs> like manuals by which people mm -hmm. have the shot for shot frame for frame <laughs> yes people who haven't engaged with that it's very clear because it, it, mm -hmm. it really you're talking out of your ass especially if you don't have any sort of real ideological framework that you're grasping onto because anyone can think that racism is bad anyone can think that sexism is bad but what is racism what is sexism and you have and like don't give me a, a one sentence response that you are quoting a, of which is a quote of a quote of a quote of a quote of like a vague mm -hmm. idea but rather like it, it should be something that the, the answers to those questions should be very complicated for you because they are very complicated questions that thousands of people deal with in in their thinking and writing through it. Um, and also like, you know, Bell Hooks has that great piece about theory and how she herself has engaged with it and the ways mm -hmm. that it is really necessary for liberatory practice and all the different approaches that one can take to it and how people respond to people saying that fact. So anyway. <laughs> I think, yeah. And to go back on top of this is different away from the theory stuff, but towards the clockability stuff, like the thing about clockability or not quote unquote, not being seen as queer enough. If you are, someone who identifies as queer, is that it is much easier and safer to be queer and not be clocked as such and complain about it online than it is to actually live the reality of risking clockability, of the potential of being clocked and then facing violence for that versus the people who have the quote unquote gay haircut or cuff their jeans or have the clear iPhone case or whatever. <laughs> Um, Cam writes yeah. in the email, you know, like that stuff, if it's not actually impacting your life and you get to complain about it, then I think that that's a sign that maybe this is not the hottest issue for you and you should yeah. look elsewhere. But this is also just completely unrelated. I wanted to say that I really relate to like working and being caught in a conversation where you either have to show your hand that you're like specifically a lesbian or lie about a situation because obviously the job that I have now, for some of you who know, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but like I am an RA, like I work in a very social environment and part of the reason why they like to, like they wanna have queer people because they wanna apply to like the diversity of the students here. So it's very easy for me to at least say that I'm a lesbian. That doesn't mean that I haven't faced lesbophobia at my job, but it, it's not in the same way as when you work like an eight hour shift or like a retail job or a restaurant job where you're like mm -hmm, with this mm -hmm. specific set of people for this amount of time and it's like your identity really isn't a part of why you have that job yeah. you know in this way like yeah yeah these conversations can be really tricky and that anger within yourself of like 
coming out when you wish that you didn't or you wish that you wouldn't have to. Like, I have yeah. experienced that so many times where I just say yeah. that I'm gay or I just say that I'm lesbian. And I'm like, why the fuck? Like, they don't need to know that information. No one is yeah. entitled to this information. Why am I just yeah. saying this? But also that just, like, straight people and people who are attracted to men do not have to pause to think about whether or not they find a man attractive. And so even having that hesitation within yourself as a lesbian is so like nerve-wracking and especially when you're like particularly really young and so there's a, a many power aspects at play like the age that mm-hmm. your co-workers have over you mm-hmm. the fact that like you probably don't have that much money even though you have this you just job. started working there like, yeah you yeah. just started working like like co-worker dynamics in this specific arena i guess in this specific specific world like it is just so complicated and being a lesbian just adds that extra stressor that non-lesbians don't have. And whatever degree that plays into your life, like, that can be person by person, you know? There could be some lesbians who work at a restaurant and it doesn't matter, like, the whole gay barista meme, you know? Like, I'm sure it's yeah. different. <laughs> versus I, like, Okay, the fucking barista at, yes. in Minneapolis, when mm-hmm. one of the chains there is like, oh my god, I'm forgetting what it's called. But anyway, it's like known for having like gay baristas. And I think the person yeah. who took my order had like really, really fun eye makeup, two long braids and a shirt that was like, that said like, that had like a nail clipper the on it and menace. said, no, I'm kidding. well, no, <laughs> had a nail clipper on it and it said something like, Something that refers to being a lesbian, essentially, right? Like, okay, we get it. So, and I remember being like, oh, I see you. I mean, I didn't say anything, Mm -hmm. but I was like, okay, real, giving. Like, you know, but I think, like, that's that's the other thing. There's so many different, because I feel like people have different approaches to this, because like you were saying, Oftentimes, it's just so not relevant until it becomes really relevant. And then it's like, oh, fuck, like, what do I do? Like, because, and most of, because uh, when I was working, like, it, once, like, maybe once or, or twice, a customer would clearly, like, a man would hit on mm-hmm. me while I'm working in front of my coworkers. And yeah. then my coworker would just be, like, playfully, like, oh, are you going to call him back? Or, like, <laughs> like you know, I think it's like, Jesus. I think, and it's like, we've never talked about my sexuality before. I've enjoyed you as a coworker up until this point. And now mm-hmm. I'm in a very stressful situation. Because there's just an assumption that you're attracted to men. It's, it exactly. is an assumption for every woman that you are public property to be purveyed, to be interrogated about, about your attraction. It's so stupid. Yes. It doesn't feel like something that I should have to lie about. Like I don't, I, in yeah. my life, I'm not ashamed of being a lesbian. Very clearly, since I put my mm-hmm. name and face to this podcast, like I right. love being a lesbian, but I don't. I either I lie and I feel yucky inside, I feel stress and anxiety within my body, or is it the truth? And that's also stressful, and that also leads to a conversation. And then when it did come out at work, I had people asking me about what my thoughts on like asexuality. And people on the A spectrum. Oh and my it, like, God. Advice on coming out. Like advice on coming out yeah. and still being like queerness that still has to deal with attraction to men. And it's like, I specifically didn't want this conversation to ever come up because <laughs> I prefer these relationships to be void of sexuality on both cases. I don't even think of my coworkers as straight people. Like, yeah. you are my coworkers. Like, 
please right. stop. So I like <laughs> that tricky situation. Like I've, yeah. I see you, I hear you. Yeah. Like I've been yeah. where you are. And also, like restaurant jobs, restaurant jobs themselves are so like gendered because food, yeah. and like service is itself very and gendered. hostess jobs particularly are yeah. very gendered. Like it's really, it's, it's kind ooh, of, shady. it's so icky. It's very, it's very icky. I mean, we live in a patriarchal society, of course. You know, mm-hmm. it's not nothing surprising, but it is really gross when you come head to head with it every time because, yeah, the like amount of stories uh, my cousin has about being groped as a literal minor working yeah. as a hostess. Yeah, like especially it's crazy. if you're in a place that has a lot of like retirement people or mm-hmm. snowbirds or a real like touristy area and. Uh, hostess in where I'm from are almost exclusively girls who are 15 to like 17, 18, 20 mm-hmm. years old. Always girls. Like guys literally are not allowed to be host yeah. or hostess unless you're like a maitre d or something like that. But yeah. that's di- that's not a hostess. Like hostess are always exclusively young women because old men come into the restaurants and they want to be yeah. seated by a young, pretty. Like you ha- also have to be hot. Like yeah. Like. Under the systems that be, if you're not a literal hot girl, you're not yeah. going to be a hostess. And that is so disgusting. The fact that that reality even exists yeah. is gross. And the fact that men feel entitled to your body when you are a hostess yeah. in the restaurant. And this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't location by location. Like, that's actually how, like, why restaurant people get hired, why that job exists. Structured, yeah. Disgusting. Disgusting. It's so and then being a lesbian gross. and having to deal with the stress of your coworkers on top of that, like one battle at a time, please. Exactly. Like you were already a teenager working <laughs> as a hostess. Do not yeah. ask if I like men or like <laughs> Like I don't like any of you. Get away yeah. from me. Like I like Jesus. I'm literally working at a restaurant. I'm pretty sure that being a lesbian is the least of my concerns here. So yeah. It's quite, uh, anyway. But yeah, those are our hot takes for today. And now to talk about our, one of our favorite pieces of lesbian <laughs> media, Dairy Exactly. Girls. Talk um, about our favorite lesbians. My journey with Dairy Girls is like this. Is oh, like, yeah. it, it, let's, let's, let's paint the picture. It's 2020. <laughs> yeah. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't watch TV mm-hmm. shows. I don't know why I started watching Dairy Girls, but I did. I think people bullied me into it. But not necessarily, like, my friends. I don't think any of my friends were, like, saying, you need to watch this the way that everyone was telling me for, like, for, for fucking Fleabag. But with Dairy Girls, it just I was like, okay, whatever, I'll watch it. And I started watching it, and I was like, what the fuck? This is so good. And then I roped Renaissance into watching it with me because I had already seen yeah. the first two seasons, which were available on Netflix because they came out in, like, what, 2016 or something like that? So we watched first two seasons together in, like, late 2020. And... Yeah. Since then, it's been on and off again. Like, my fixation, I'll just watch compilations on YouTube of it, like, as a comfort media constantly. I'll rewatch episodes <laughs> constantly. And it's it's just so near and dear to my heart because the writing is so good. The actors yeah. are so amazing. Obviously, it's in Ireland. And it deals with, like, the contentions of living in amidst the troubles in like the night being a 90s teenage girl in northern ireland and Mm -hmm. dealing with all the shit that comes with that but in this funny incisive and brilliant way that tackles issues of like and i don't even want to say that it tackles issues because i think like that is a that's 
as a frustrating way of disseminating media of being like, oh, it's great because it's diverse, A, B, and C, the way that I feel like Heartstopper has been sort of like pushed. It's like, oh my God, yeah. such a diverse cast and like great representation. Like, girl, it's not about the representation. It's about the story. What's actually, what's yeah. the content there? What is the content itself saying? How accurately and how well and how meaningfully is it portraying the teenage experience? Because I think Dairy Girls, it doesn't, perfectly utilizing the these archetypes that feel so real right like Aaron is the snobby up her own ass but also like sort of grounded in reality girl with mm -hmm. an overbearing mom who works really hard like Michelle is the crazy bitch who is she's literally insane she, but like she is fucking hilarious <laughs> like so, like she's the she's, she's crazy the one who gets shit moving who is like a slut in a fun way and like a bitch and in, in a cunty way like in like a mm -hmm. serving giving like so there's that and obviously like and then there's um orla claire's oh, cousin orla, yeah who is very neurodivergent and everyone knows she's weird and everyone sort of is like it was like, okay, that's the weird girl. So, mm -hmm. um, and then there's James, the British cousin who's staying with Michelle, who gets shitted on for being gay when he's not gay. Um, and then there's... And the only boy ever. And he's a dairy girl. School. He's literally a dairy girl. He's a dairy girl. girl. So, exactly. As established by the end of season two. Season anyway. Two. And then, of course, there is... Claire, our lovely little wee lesbian. The wee and lesbian. Woo. She is so cute. She's very neurotic and she <laughs> yeah. is a high she's an overachiever and it, it's and of course we have the adults who there's Grandpa Joe who hates Icon hates Jerry, Jerry the the dad of Aaron. Aaron and the wife of Mary. Hates He's Jerry the husband so of Mary. He's the husband of Mary and Mary and Jerry living in Derry, right? And so he is just a silly, goofy guy who is a dad. Like, he is a dad. But, like, not in those sitcom portraying dads as, like, these oafish, He's a beta stupid male. slobs. <laughs> but, like, he does what needs to be done, but also mm -hmm. he does get pushed around. And that's funny. And that's so real, okay? And, mm -hmm. of course, there's Aunt Sarah, Orla's mom, who is just Woo! as much of an airhead, but... Yeah. And, and strange, and but adorable. so lovable. And so into she makeup and fashion and hair. What a gem. Like, she loves it. And, yeah, they're just giving. All of them are giving all the time, and they're all so fucking mm -hmm. funny. And all the other ensemble And even characters, the parents of the... Yeah friends are iconic and there's well i don't know i don't know if we should talk about this now or later but like the halloween episode like we can just uh, see how their children yeah. are such clear Art. descendants yeah. of their parents yeah in this way that just feels very real in the way that yeah. your children are your descendants of your parents yeah. and like and especially because they're both in Northern Ireland growing up in the Troubles. Yeah. They're both teenagers yeah. in the same setting from the same small town with the same friend group. Who went to the same school. Exactly. Dealt with the same social issues and are... Mm -hmm. And now that both we see the, the previous generation... headmistress, right. not... Exactly. Of course, our, our favorite. Our favorite sister... Um, 
Sister Michael. Sister Michael. Sister George Michael. <laughs> Another the mean lesbian. The she's such mean a cunt. Lesbian. I love her so much. I love she's her so much. constantly she... exacerbated. Exasperated. And mm. anyway, continue. always a hater. Hates Jenny. <laughs> Oh my god, Jenny as a character is so fucking funny because I swear to god, I I went to school with so many goddamn Jennies. Like, (laughs) so up their teachers' asses, like, so convinced of their own righteousness. Jenny's mom isn't friends with the other mom, (laughs) and then how that then recreated itself with the division of the friend group and Jenny. This shit, so like, the funny. writing of this show is so brilliant, and so airtight. God. It has genuinely ruined other comedies for me. I've tried yeah. to watch other comedies, and I fear that it, it very little remains entertaining to me because I watch Dear Girls. It has me giggling from start. I mean, like line after line after yeah. line. I'm giggling. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my favorite line. No, that's my favorite line. Yeah. And then you think that there's a punchline, and then another character says something on top of that, and it's like, yeah. oh wait, that it was, like, yeah. You the just don't stop laughing. And then the there are moments where you start so sobbing, good. crying, as you saw. Oh my. As gosh. you. Sunny, <laughs> watching the last two episodes of Dairy Girls because we were like watching. I had it on my laptop, Sunny was on my phone, and so I'd be watching the episode, and then every once in a while, I'd go and look over at Sunny, sobbing, <laughs> so, like, sobbing like I've never seen sobbing I have Sunny never cry cried like that before, in front of anyone, it was, like, I was crying, crying, crying. It was so oh. intense, but, like Sunny said, Sunny had me, when... Uh, back when we were early Sunnisance days, prior to mm-hmm. the podcast, several months which is why before we haven't podcast, talked right, about right, right. it. Yeah, which is why we've never talked about it before, because this is when we were just, you know, normal friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> normal friends? Right. Well, friends who don't have a podcast. Yeah. Um, watched it, and as we all know, I don't particularly love things about teenagers, and so I was like, right. okay, like we'll watch it like... I don't like shows about high schoolers. And then mm. we watched it and I was like, this is kind of brilliant, I fear. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. in the season finale of season one is when Claire comes out as a lesbian. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because mm-hmm. she actually says that she's a lesbian. And also the way mm-hmm. that she comes out is just so hashtag real. Brilliant. And yeah. it's so... And like Orla, like holding the papers and being like, lesbians really do exist. And Aunt Sarah can, or like and Grandpa Joe confusing vegetarians and lesbians and being like, oh, there's a girl up the road who's a lesbian. And then Mom Mary being like, no, she's a vegetarian. And Aunt Sarah being like, what's the difference? Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, that is why this show is like so good. The episode where the Chinese girl who's like crazy comes in, that show was so. <laughs> fucking funny because claire is like oh my god someone who's chinese ah! like she's mm-hmm. freaking out and like so excited. And she's so excited because they're they're from fucking dairy like it's a tiny town in Ireland. Every, they're from dairy their parents are from dairy their grandparents are from dairy no mm-hmm. one moves in or out of dairy yeah so all yeah. they know are other northern irish people Right, and, and cops, so English cops, <laughs> exactly. And the way that, like, oh my god, the way that they interact with the constant military presence is also yes. so real because it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, when you're a kid and then you grow up being around cops, 
and around these heavily militarized zones and just get used to it. Like in the first episode, Michelle is sexualizing one of, one of the guys <laughs> who like stops the bus and does a random search. And then James, the British cousin is like, what is going on? What? What? Like he's freaking out because he's never been subjected to this before. And all the other girls were like, not okay, this again, like whatever, just, just the regular. And then we have the little incidents where it's like, oh, there's been a bomb. Oh, like someone's been shot. Like, oh, this happened. And then the way that the parents and that the kids interact with it, where they're like, ugh, Oh my god, when, when, And um, Sarah being like, I have a tanning appointment. Do you think they're gonna <laughs> still be blocking the bridge? And then Mom Mary's like, do you think that, yeah, the IRA really plans on stopping yeah. you from getting, from your, getting your tanning appointment? Or like, when the girls get in trouble and, um, Claire's dad walks in, I think, or no, 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 it was Michelle's mom walks in and is like, the 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 bloody Brits won't let me. How long? Oh, the dad is like, how long does it take to defuse a a fucking block a, fu- a fucking bomb? And because <laughs> they're just rushing to the fucking school, like this yeah. is just so funny. The way that like the political setting and the tense high school social dynamic and the friendships are so mm-hmm. real, so tender and fucking hilarious it's it's and like real life but funnier and better you know like it's, it's so reflective like because that's why that's what to, sitcoms should be you know yeah and i just listened to our episode on crush where i read the letterbox review of someone saying that in crush that is how real teenagers talk and oh we were God. both like fucking no no one has ever talked like that in real life ever and dairy right. girl's feels like a real representation of Mm -hmm. how teenagers actually talk. They're not constantly doing drugs. I mean, they drink and smoke, but that's because they're from Northern Ireland. And, but like, it's not the constant sexualization like it is in Euphoria or the constant criminal, like the criminal activity that they get into is very accidental, very high, very (laughs) accidentally helping Uh. people rob your school kind of thing. (laughs) That might be my favorite episode. I don't know, but like it might be. I I can't rank them because they're, they're all so fantastic, but like that one just because, oh my God, we, we haven't talked about Uncle Calm yet. Uncle Colm is such a good character. character to ever like. Like as I a comedic wanna know device, from what amazing. Yeah. I want to know what corner of Lisa McGee's brain, like the like she Came must up, have this yeah. uncle because <laughs> I've like we've seen the neurotic like friend like we've seen the Monicas, the Chandlers, the Rachels, yeah. like you know the typical people that make up a friend ensemble like within sitcom but uncle comb feels so original as a or just underrepresented in sitcom as like this boring character that is genuinely heavy laughs every single time he's on screen yeah i know that the scene's gonna be good i know that i'm gonna be crying laughing from a scene like (laughs) he never disappoints and i think this is this is a bit of a stretch, but stay with me. In mm. the Archers, they talk about how Taylor mm-hmm. Swift is able to use <laughs> Not bringing everything to Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's real, but like it, how Taylor Swift is so able to uh, effectively use the emotion in the state of boredom as an expression in her music, and how she's able to represent that in a way that's useful. Like when lines seem throwaway, when it seems that she's bored of what she's talking about within a song, and how that actually adds to 
the story with within the song. I feel that Uncle Colm is such a great example of using boredom as a way to get the biggest laughs in a show. Like not everything has to be over the top. Not everything has to mm. be layered on top of each other. Sometimes it's a simple pause in between words and a very mm -hmm. like expressionless mm -hmm. face and this like character with gray hair who just talks about nonsense for hours on end. That is mm -hmm. the funniest character of the mm -hmm. show. Like being a like, Writers, women writers, who are able to tap into boredom to show their talents. Mm. To me, nothing is better. People mm. that are able to use these undertap, underrepresented emotions and facets of, of living is, it, it, it's, it's, it's something so personal to me. I love yeah. it. I love shows that have very few men. There are only really three guy characters mm. and that's the grandpa the dad and james and then the, the and then the fucking the priest with the hair oh yeah yeah father the matthew with the hair. and then of course uncle Colum. they come in every episode every now and then and they every yeah. time they come in it's fucking hilarious because they so are funny. the gags they are the joke mm -hmm. they are the the butt of the joke for all the girls in the room like yeah everyone and, and is annoyed by them bored by them like and we as audience members are as well but that's what makes it funny whereas so many times i feel like in real life and in tv the male characters like set the stage or the standard for what is happening in a comedic scene or you'll think that the woman is the straight man in the scene and then it turns out that she's actually the butt of the joke or something like that. Whereas the humor mm -hmm. of the show is so specifically teenage girl and that teenage girls do laugh at their uncles. They do mm -hmm. laugh at They the don't men take who come men seriously room. at all. It very the divide. They go to an all girls like, school. Why would they take them seriously? Why would they see them as real people when the people that have actual control of their lives are their mothers, are each other, yeah. are the other girls that they go to school with, are sister Michael? Like, yeah, to them, exactly. their relationships between each other are what's real. And that's why James essentially is a dairy girl is because he yeah. is able to have a real connection with them. But mm -hmm. even then, Michelle makes fun of him for being a guy constantly. and for Everyone being English, makes fun of, of him for being... English so everyone makes fun of him which it's so fun to see a show where being English is the butt of a joke and it never gets old <laughs> it's funny every single time it's a small space in the world your breathing where we are is alive. oppressive yeah it's a bit it's Literally, a bit English <laughs> one of my favorite jokes of the entire show is in season two when they're studying for their exams and James says that he can't keep his uprisings from his rebellion straight yeah and, and Michelle like, says if you're like if you stopped fucking invading us for five Five fucking seconds. There would be so, so many. God, their deliveries on point every time. Or like the fact so that oh my god, one of my favorite gags is when they're at the <laughs> the um fucking Protestants and Catholics retreat, the boys' school, the girls' that school. Episode, and that one that, might be my favorite. That one might be my favorite episode. Like, like the gag. fact that when Michelle raises her hand and is like. You know when you when you shacked up with that slutty hairdresser, and Mr. Michael's like, Michelle, raise your hand 
if you want to ask a question. <laughs> like, <laughs> the exactly. pause between Michelle and mm-hmm. raise your hand if you have a question is so funny because, like, we... The expectation is the nun is going to condemn this girl for making such an Crass. inappropriate remark at this mm-hmm. school event. Priest. <laughs> to, to the, the fucking priest. priest. But mm-hmm. she also hates the priest. So, like, yeah. she's there for the tea and drama. She's just like... Raise your hand, you know? Like, those are the conventions. And, like, it's so funny exactly. to see what conventions these girls stick to versus the ones that they don't. And I think it's so specific to that all-girls Catholic school 90s teenage experience that we're obsessed yeah. with because it's so real. Like, ah! <laughs> it is, I mean, I've been in those classes where I'm, like, actively fighting and attacking a guy that I find annoying in my class. And my teacher, instead of telling me to stop bullying him, was like, can you keep your voice down? But, like, doesn't tell me <laughs> to stop, like, like yeah. it's okay with me chewing out a guy in yeah. my class. But it's just, like, they can hear you over here. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it's very that, It's about the know? decorum as opposed to, like, the, exactly. the, the substance of what's being said. Because, exactly. like, yeah. Like, Michelle, did, please didn't say anything wrong. in the form so. of a question. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so good. And... The way that the Protestant kids and the Catholic kids, like, have no, there's, they have, they can't Mm -hmm. think of zero similarities between them. Yeah. Fucking hilarious versus at the very end, that really touching scene where Aaron is like, yeah, what's similar between us is our fucking parents. Because look at the way that they're all (laughs) yelling at yelling at us for the hijinks that we got up to during this retreat. And that's so real. That is what brings teenagers together across many different experiences. And Sister Michael having, like, her Protestant equivalent of, like, the strict headmistress of the Protestant school. And so it really is, like, what bonds teenagers, what bonds people is their parents being insane, the mean people, like, their mean teachers or their mean, like, principals or whatever. The people that you hate... The st- yes, and, and the silly shit that you get, like it's it's you know Sally Rooney talks about this as well. Another great female Irish, Irish. writer, um, <laughs> yeah. But she in like I feel like the thesis of her most recent book, Beautiful World, Where Are You, is and we're gonna do when we're both in St. Louis together. Hopefully, Renaissance will have read all three of her books. I have obviously, yeah. um, but anyway, I in, it's actually under the mic right now. I just haven't yeah. read it yet. Basically, yeah, I got it from my friend in Minneapolis, and they're literally, they were just now texting me updates about the book. Anyway, but the thesis that she sort of comes to in Beautiful World, Where Are You? Because she obviously is a communist, a lot of her characters are communists, and they're dealing Mm -hmm. with, like, the contentious reality of all the shitty stuff that happens in the world around them and at large. And the conclusion is, like, but what really matters to people at the end of the day and what really connects people is like love and like art like it's it's at the end of the day it's always people are always going to be thinking and fretting and dealing with their relationships sex like do like their relationships with their friends and their family like those are the things that matter to people in the day-to-day the most and is Mm -hmm. at the core of everything like love family your relationships art beauty media this the stuff that we really and i i also love the way that dairy girls portrays these girls uh, obsession with media their fandomness yeah. how much they <laughs> love certain artists and what they will do to go to that show what they will do yeah. like i think it's like that's so sweet to see portrayed in a way that isn't like 
derogatory or mean-spirited because it is such a genuine reality for the many show of us. validates their obsession their adoration like their, their, their love their yeah it and doesn't treat it, them it's not as silly. the butt of the joke and it doesn't yeah. make them seem crazy for wanting to do this you're actively mm-hmm. rooting for them to be able to experience the things that they want to experience yeah and that yeah. is what's so beautiful about the show because there are shows that obviously talk about teenage girlhood or that show teenage girls wanting to go to a concert or the lengths that they'll go to but it's always shown or co- more frequently shown in a way that is derogatory that looks down on them that ends up them being punished in this way that feels more severe than what they actually did or it just not very positive whereas I feel like Dare Girls is such a love for teenage girlhood in a way that isn't as represented and yeah. is it's what definitely I love a love about it because yeah and I feel like I don't know I don't know if this is a spoiler watch see, watch season three watch Dairy Girls but in the end, you can edit this out if it's a spoiler, but when Chelsea Clinton gets the letter from yeah. the Dairy Girls, yeah. that is to Chelsea Clinton's teenage self, like when she yeah. was 16 and uh, Bill Clinton was in Northern Ireland, like that love of girlhood, the fact that we see that full circle moment at the very end of the series to me, highlights even more. And this isn't to say that I'm pro-Chelsea Clinton or pro (laughs) any of the Clintons, but it's to highlight the fact that this show is ultimately about the love between teenage girls and between teenage Mm -hmm. girlhood and Mm -hmm. how much that codes that experience, like that time of your life. You're allowed Mm -hmm. to center other girls in your Mm -hmm. life, even as a straight or obviously lesbian character as Claire is, Mm -hmm. in a way that you just don't really have access to at any other point in your life. Mm -hmm. Which is also explored in Our Love Lasts a Long article where people are expected to fall out of or fall out of love with Taylor Swift at a certain time. Taylor Swift is expected to stop singing about girls at a certain point of her life. But we don't stop loving Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift doesn't stop singing about girlhood and female friendship and girls don't grow up and stop loving girls like that's that's not the reality of the situation you and so i have a show and the thing is that this show does all of this while being incredibly funny like it is because there are so many shows like heartstopper or like crush or whatever that try and show this queer teenage experience or that try to show this Mm -hmm. other form of like teenagehood but isn't, like, literally isn't as good as Dairy Girls, I think. Ne- like, never. Dairy like, Girls. Dairy Girls is, like, God tier. Like, it's just, like, what? Like, and it's so specific to Lisa McGee, the mm-hmm. creator and writer of the show. It's like, like, writing style, oh, yeah, her own experiences. She, in mm-hmm. her interview, she kind of talks about how, like, yeah, these characters are sort of caricatures and and combinations of various people that she encountered in her life growing up in mm-hmm. in this same setting. Sort of the ways that her social dynamics played out, the way that her family was like, the way that her friends were like. She's like, that's what inspired this. And it's it's a it's a love of it as opposed to this derision that I feel like or or condescension that I think a lot of other media yeah. about teenagers for teenagers has to it, where it's like either watered down or sort of glossed over or the nastier or like grittier parts of it are exaggerated for dramatic effect. It's like Dairy Girls feel so real because 
what is at the core of what ties them together isn't drama or who's fucking who or fuck mm-hmm. like you know some like or the, drugs or whatever like, the pettiness isn't between like we see them fight so rarely and when they do fight it's not about like you said like who's fucking who or stealing boyfriends or something like that like it's about not wearing a jean jacket when you said that you're gonna wear a jean jacket on the first day of school like the things that actually yeah i don't know make up female friendship but one thing that i was gonna mention when you were saying about how specific it is is that like the actress who plays Erin and Michelle are from Londonderry, the actual place mm-hmm. where it takes place. Lisa McGee is from Londonderry. A lot of the other actors and actresses are from Belfast or another place in Northern Ireland. And then even if they're not from Northern Ireland, like the actress who plays Orla is from Dublin. So still the Republic of Ireland. So it's like such a very specifically Londonderry show. That's the universe. That's where it, the creator is from that's where the main characters are the main cast members are from and so the fact that it is so applicable that the fact that me like someone who was born and raised from southern california and you from the south and midwest like can relate and love these characters so much i think also speaks to the universal nature of teenage girlhood in this way that mm-hmm. whether or not you grow up into being a woman or you mm-hmm. were a girl before you were a teenager, if you are someone who has experienced teenage girlhood, like if that is an aspect of your life, there's just something so universal about it that mm-hmm. is so touching. And when you see it portrayed correctly and accurately and something that you can relate to regardless of where you're from, it's so heartwarming and so loving. And I, I love that. I love things that are specific but because they are talking so about specific. the very universal. essence, yeah, when, once you talk about the essence of something, it doesn't matter where it's set because it will always be yeah. relatable in that way. Yeah. I think that's why there's such a cultural attachment to, like, Sally Rooney's writing, for example, despite the fact, mm-hmm. like, people make fun of it for being sort of, I guess, repetitive so in the Irish. types of characters that she oh. writes. But also, I mean, mm-hmm. in some, I remember there was an article called, like, Sally Rooney is Irish or something like that, where it's like, because of her books, because her books and her and the stuff that she creates has become so universalized across the globe in in terms of like, oh, that's what a Sally Rooney book is like. That's what a Sally Rooney character is like. I relate to this so much. These are, this is a piece of media that feels really integral to my identity because people have internalized it as their own sort of thing. And, you know, we have the, the Irish element of her storytelling sort of gets removed from that when in reality, the way, like, there's a very specific reason why her characters are from the places that they are from, why it's set mm-hmm. in the countries that it's set in, why these women look and act and talk the way that they do. There's so much intention behind it. And I think like the intention, the attention to detail and the specificity of work created by like Irish women writers particularly and the impact mm-hmm. it has on pop culture is so amazing to see and look at <laughs> like wow this is so it's so cool like across genres across mediums um yeah that like it's just like wow this is amazing uh, I we mean, I need think, a renaissance like, Ireland trip <laughs> so bad <laughs> so so bad we need to um, go to Trinity College like we need yeah. to just like we anyway. need to be because um, 
Grandma Joe like shits on every part of Ireland that is not dairy constantly, yeah. which is also a running gag that I think is so funny. Um, Even so Belfast, Belfast, which is also in right. He's like Belfast. <laughs> you're going to Belfast. You might as well sell them into white slavery. I was like. <laughs> I love like, Grandpa Joe is so real. Grandpa Joe is a man who understands gendered solidarity because the way he <laughs> loves his granddaughters and yeah. daughters and hates the husbands and the other boys in their lives, <laughs> and not in a way that comes off as possessive or seeing them or as like pace. his yeah, property yeah, yeah. or extensions of him. Right. Like he genuinely just wants the girls to be girls. He wants them to yeah. have fun. He will support yeah. their hijinks when necessary. Like yeah. He's, he, he's a hater of the in other the best men. Way. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love when in that episode that you were talking about when they're studying for the exam, when he comes on stairs <laughs> and he's like, you slept over too, son? And he yeah. turns over to, to the dad, to Jerry, and is like, <laughs> and you're just letting them get away with this? Anyone, <laughs> any man could be a rapist. Sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. dudes. But like, the fact that... Yeah. Like, <laughs> the way that... No, I like... Think, even though they know that James literally does nothing is a non-threat, <laughs> the way that they are still like, but oh, fuck men, but James is here. Yeah. <laughs> like, Thanks. Yeah. Like, or like when Michelle's walking down, they're walking in the school hallway, Michelle's like, well, we all have fannies. And he's like, I don't. And she's like, well, you are one. And it's like, <laughs> like just all the ways. So real. That, and oh in God. the first episode, when the whole thing throughout the episode is that James doesn't go to the bathroom because there's no boy bathrooms <laughs> because he's going to an all-girls school and Sister Michael won't let him use the faculty bathroom and he asks. And she's like, you're not a faculty member. Why do you use the faculty bathroom? Yeah. He's like, there are no boy ba-. But it's that play, like, it is that playful misandry, if you will, because yeah. how many times have women or other oppressed people go into a place where there is not a woman's bathroom or whatever or and so to see that being placed on a man on a on the guy character and also for him to not be instantly accommodated for people to not bend over backwards to appease his needs and wants (laughs) and then him being the butt of the joke (laughs) where like she walks in onto the fucking tableau of the nun (laughs) being it was literally a renaissance (laughs) painting that frame Like, like i need it I need a chest piece of just that, of that frame of Dairy Girls. It's so... God. And I mean, like, even so the non-comedic good. elements of the show, like, there's that really touching scene when Michelle's like, you're a Dairy Girl now, James. Or mm-hmm. at the end of season three, oh my god. Or, like, mm-hmm. or the, the tough conversations that mm-hmm. they end up having to have with each other in, in the special episode when they're of age to vote and they're voting on yeah. on the future of Ireland the way that Michelle having an incarcerated brother is sort of like plays out in their friendship dynamics in a way that is sort of like unprecedented and also just like the the trauma that these kids do face um and when they can't brush it off and when they, it's not been an integrated part of their lives that they've gotten used to like the checkpoints and whatever over the years and the constant news of bombings and whatever and it becomes personal or when when things like actually happen to them um and the way that 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 dialogue and those scenes play out it's just so 
heartbreaking, especially because it's all packaged Mm -hmm. in this bubbly goofiness of these girls in hijinks when, like, at, at the core of the situation, there is something really, really, like, fucked up going on that, like, no kid should have to and experience. And something that's like, bigger than them. Exactly. And that they, they can't that. even begin to comprehend. And even when they try to, you end up being, like, Aaron, who is <laughs> a bad writer, right? As Lisa mm-hmm. McGee herself, like, admits. Like, just, like, that's the thing. Like, the girls who take themselves too seriously in the show are the butt of the joke. But at the same time, it the the show itself doesn't demean or downplay the seriousness of like their actual situation. And it definitely 100% has to do with the fact that Lisa McGee herself like lived through this. Like she she's writing from her own experiences. So, of course, it's going to reflect the sort of like the throwaway attitudes that you have, the way that there's so many there's like a sort of repeated joke that is them watching the tv and news is playing and then the response the parents response being like being like oh my god that's so awful the discount on this thing i want to buy is <laughs> going to apply but like right before yeah. that we just saw some like horrific news and yeah. it's like <laughs> like well, it's- in in the beginning of the special episode we see these shots of um sister michael praying and it looks like she's in front of this portrait of jesus and she's praying like so passionately <laughs> and like up until this point we've never seen her be particularly religious like obviously she's a nun but we don't see her practicing and so in the special episode like oh my gosh we see sister michael like being a nun and praying and doing the rosemary and then in the very last shot of her it like the camera turns and we see that she's praying in front of a TV and like the <laughs> it's a football like her game, favorite like, football match uh, like her favorite football team won and she's like cheering and it's that kind of like tongue in cheek of the show uh-huh. that just makes it so enjoyable. It's funny and it makes you like laugh because that's real. Like you do pray for the trivial things. Like mm-hmm. real shit is happening and you're thinking about. The logistics of your own life when yeah, real exactly. catastrophic events are happening. Yeah. And to, uh, one of the things that you reminded me of is I feel like the show, when the friends, like when the ensemble is dealing with the stuff that is no longer funny, their perspective on it feels age appropriate instead of other shows yeah. where I feel like writers channel this like, they want to preach to the audience or whatever. Yeah, And 100%. you can tell that and it's like a writer's room that's making yeah. them say this. Whereas yeah. even... Their the, it feels of their characters. It, it, it feels exactly. of. Like, like Michelle we, thinks like, the way that she does be able because to her brother is in prison. Erin mm-hmm. thinks the way she does because she is sheltered from the world due to her family. And they can mm-hmm. see each other for who they are because they spend so much time together. And they also see mm-hmm. the deficits in each other because of that. And... Yeah. Like all complicated, like all human relationships, it's complicated and it takes time for them to really like deal with this. And like it, it even plays out in that petty drama of like that three, that four way phone call that we see <laughs> where, yeah. where, um, poor Claire all is so girls. confused with trying Claire to carrying this friend group on her literally. back. Like, once and she's again, not even in town. She's literally no. like at school away from everyone else. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh my god, wait, we haven't talked about the little shop. That's another ensemble. That's another, like, background character. The guy who runs the little oh, shop. Oh, yeah, Dennis. yeah, 
and like and the then how Michelle gag. starts working. Yeah, that oh, yeah, was the so running cute. gag that. No matter where he's working, he always kicks them out at the end of the mm-hmm. scene. He always yells at them to get out. That's one of my favorite. There's like so many elements of the show things. that are like mm-hmm. reliable. You know, like you know mm-hmm. the characters are gonna act that way because that's who they are. Yeah. You know that there's gonna be a joke that incorporates this when a certain character's on screen. You know that like if something serious is happening, unless it's in a very specific context, it's going to be a background thing that is then used as a part of the joke. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's consistent, but it's still surprising. And so few shows mm-hmm. can do that, I feel. So few pieces of media love... can, can be so consistent, yet so shocking at the same time. Exactly. I, I love shows that, for lack of a better word, are just, like, airtight. Like, there are yeah, no it's, it's discrepancies in its just... logic, mm-hmm. in the plot points in the way that the, the characterization of, of these people from beginning to end just feels so real and so mm-hmm. understandable. Like you said, the things that shock you are still things that are within character, are still within mm-hmm. the universe of the show. And even in the Halloween episode where the cast, like the actors are people that we've never seen before. We're seeing a version mm-hmm. of the parents as characters that we've never seen before. And it feels like, the parents that we've already seen for the three seasons before it's very are these young people. It's very people. reliable. Exactly. Like, they feel it's so like when, real. When we saw young Ruth in season two mm-hmm. of Russian mm-hmm. Doll, that felt like the Ruth that we had already seen in season mm-hmm. one. Like, mm-hmm. it felt so, like, such a continuation of it's that It's so character. seamlessly integrated across time yeah. and space. Yeah. And I, I feel just so spoiled with television right now i feel like we like obviously there's a endless amount of bullshit as always because yeah every streaming platform is doing like 50 shows every fucking other week so Mm -hmm. a bunch of bullshit but the stuff that is like the cream of the crop right now is genuinely really good like Mm -hmm. The flea bags like the queen's gambits like Mm -hmm. the russian dolls and the dairy girls Mm-hmm. It's kind of delicious, I yeah, fear. Yeah, the, yeah. Is, if the common through point is that they're all primarily made and we written need by women with women <laughs> behind characters. behind the scenes and and, and yeah. on screen, we just yeah. women. We like we love women. We do. Uh, news breaking headline: uh, <laughs> The Lavender Menace. We love women. Who would have thought? Right. 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 So now let's get into our media recommendations. I feel like I always make you go first, so I'll go first this time. And I have to recommend to you a musical artist, an artist, and it is, I think you put one of her songs on your playlist, but I don't know whether you'll recognize her by name. Oh, Chappelle Rowan. Chapel Rowan, Chappelle Rowan. Hold on, let me. I I you're correct in that I don't recognize the name. Yeah, so she made Pink Pony Club, which is oh I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yes, so she's is. only I love that song singles so far, in, as mm-hmm. her discography. So her most recent singles are My Kink Is Karma. And then Naked mm-hmm. in Manhattan, which were both released this year. And they're both such good songs. Like, they are, they're just, okay. like, pop. 
in this beautiful, perfect way. And I can't wait for her to release more music, an EP, an album, more singles. I'll take anything because I like all, I feel like her songs have just gotten better because I've listened, she only has like what, like six songs out and I've listened to them all yeah. sort of and tried to figure out. And I'm like, yeah, I think every song just gets better and better because it, it's just so good. And she's underrated because she doesn't have any projects out, but Chapel mm-hmm. Roan, like, she needs to be streamed, she needs more hype, like, I need to see her live, like, she needs to go on tour, drop an album. Yeah, I don't know whether she has any, like, music videos or anything, but I will have to look into it. I love, love her music. I have a book recommendation as well, but if you have anything, tell, tell, tell me now. (laughs) Yes, I'm excited that you recommended the rest of her songs because I do love Pink Pony Club. I think it came up on my like Discover Weekly and I was like obsessed with it and I put it on multiple playlists and still listen to that song. So love that. Also just stream Pink Pony Club to the Lavender Mist to the Lavender Menace listeners. I had a different recommendation, but since you've gone artist, I'm also gonna go artist because this applies. I'm gonna apply or I'm gonna recommend to you the artist C Matt all caps c-m-a-t i think it's like her initials or whatever she's an irish singer songwriter and very i listened to her album when i was reading conversations with friends because her album which came out this year if my wife knew n-e-w i'd be dead and It's this amazing album. I discovered her when, also on Spotify, probably Discover Weekly, her single, I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby. Yeah, I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby, which came out in 2020. I listened to that, and I streamed the fuck out of that song. I think it's so clever. She, like, uses memes and internet culture, but also makes Irish country music in a way that is very Sally Rooney coded, very Irish, <laughs> Irish, Irish woman, woman writer coded in the way that Lisa mm. McGee and Sally Rooney does. And now that I'm in the middle of this recommendation, I'm realizing that you might not like her actually because she uses a lot of guitar sounds and I'm remembering <laughs> in the middle of recommending this that you don't like the sound of guitar. But if you're a normal music listener out there who doesn't Girl. hate the sound of guitars... <laughs> Then I highly recommend listening and streaming CMAT. I I adore her work and her album, and I think she's currently touring in the UK. So part of me, I, I want her to be big so that I can keep having more music, but she's also currently a little indie, a little under the radar right now, and I want to keep her to myself, but I won't. I'm beating the gatekeeper allegations, which... Mm. I don't Indeed. do it too often, but I will for CMAT. Yeah, and the book recommendation I've been sitting on for like, I feel like a weeks now, I've been excited to say, is mm-hmm. Siren Queen by Nevo. Mm. It's a recent release, and it's an old Hollywood 
like lesbian glamour type of book. So kind of like Slay! Seven Evan, Evan, blah, 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 blah. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo vibes, right? But mm-hmm. much better writing and there's like magical realism elements incorporated into it. It feels very fairy tale-esque in some ways. And our main character is Chinese. Um, she's a Chinese American girl from the LA Chinatown area. And she sort of stumbles upon the like Hollywood sets and sort of gets roped into it and then she wants to succeed and she'll do anything to succeed and yeah so we kind of see her climb that but also there the other what hinges this and makes it different from I think stories of this similar type is the fact that in order to acquire the access to these producers and these agencies that she wants she essentially has to like bargain with like almost her life so she goes to this early in the book she goes to this older woman this older bruja type beat lady and essentially trades her 20 years of the end of her life for her to be able to get the access that she wants and then when she gets the contract with this producer named mr wolf the fact that he's called mr wolf and the fact that he is portrayed as and sort of like all of these, uh, it's so interesting because some of the some of the people who are on set and like the way that it's desi- it's described and the way that the world building is made, there's like these like changelings essentially that can that that function as like people who are like ragdoll assemblies of real life people who just exist for. Th- this for Hollywood and they only exist on set. I don't know. It's so interesting the way that Nevo incorporates like fantasy elements and this magical realism fairy tale like quality to this story of mid 20th century up and coming Hollywood lesbian who wants to be a big name actor. And I don't know. I think it's it's quite brilliant. And Nevo herself is I think all of the books that she's written are all sapphic, are all lesbian. And all of them have been fantasy so far. The first two books that were released were the the Singing Hells cycle, two novellas that are retellings or not retellings, but like that follow this like non-binary monk from Vietnamese mm-hmm. like folklore. And then the book that she released before Siren Queen was a queer Vietnamese retelling or not or a retelling of The Great Gatsby, except the main character, instead of being, I think, like Nick, is this queer Vietnamese adoptee woman. Um, And so and this story. So I've read all of her books. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've read all of Nevo's books. But Siren Queen is by far my favorite one. I think Nevo is a brilliant writer. And I think that this book is very suited to like your taste specifically, but also is just a very well-crafted book in general. And I need to think about it more deeply because there's like more complicated world building and stuff that I don't fully understand, nor do I think the author really wants you to. But what fully ultimately drives the story is like the tenacity and character of our main character and her desires and also her relationships to the various people in her life and there is that sort of like 
like the the man on the 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 big man who's an actor but who's closeted and they're friends there's the you know the other girl who is trying to move up the ranks of the studio that she's like roommates with whom she's like kind of in love with there's then there's the other girl who's also and how she deal navigates being queer in these spaces and like whether she it's very it's very very good and i think it's kind of like if this heaven husbands of ellen hugo was good and was <laughs> well written and was magical mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. was it featured like, a bit earlier a, a, a Chinese American main character and I, I the thing is though is that it sort of I think it follows a similar timeline as the Seven Husbands because it is set in like we kind of there's I don't think there's any concrete dates but we do follow her over the course of her life and it's from the early mid twentieth century to the end of the 20th century slash oh, okay. the beginning or or to present day essentially it's like yeah. from old hollywood to present day sort of no spoilers it's like yeah so <laughs> actually let me go see the goodread stats on this because i don't really think i i've seen them the cover is super cool too because it's like this really glam like smoky eye Asian girl with, like, finger waves and, like, smoke in her face and, like, a dark lip. What's the title again? Siren Queen. So it has 1,200 ratings and a 3.9 average. And the little Goodreads description says, No maids, no funny talking, no fainting flowers. Lulu Wei is beautiful, talented, and desperate to be a star. Coming of age in pre-code Hollywood, she knows how dangerous the movie business is and how limited the roles are for a Chinese-American girl from Hungarian Hill. But she doesn't care. She'd rather play a monster than a maid. But in Lulia's world, the worst monsters in Hollywood are not the ones on screen. The studios want to own everything, from her face to her name to the women she loves, and they run on a system of bargains made in blood and ancient magic, powered by the endless sacrifice of unlucky starlets like her. For those who do survive to earn their fame, success comes with a steep price. Lulia is willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means becoming the monster herself. Great book. Wow. And, that's interesting yeah. that it starts in the pre-code era. So that's uh, the 1920s because the the coded era, which refers to the Hayes Code, that started in 1931, I believe. From 1931 and until 1968. the way that we see our main character, like the, the, the queer coding of the movies that she's in is mm-hmm. and like the way that she describes being in the movies that she's in because the reason why the book is called is titled siren queen one of the reasons is because that's one of the characters that she plays and it's a recurring character in like you know the mm-hmm. studio blockbusters of the time and oh my god so so good so amazing anyway wow. oh i also have I'm... it checked out on my libby account so it's it's still yes. in it's still in our shared library <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Communism is when you share Libby accounts with yeah, who has my the library card library. <laughs> with the better yeah. public library system. Exactly. 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 I, tried, library, I tried to get my own. Love, it's love you. Slaves. It's also because the St. Louis County Library is a network of like dozens of libraries. So the interlibrary mm-hmm. loan system, especially online, is it's just built into so it. So is but mine, anyways. and there was nothing, literally a fraction of the number of books that yours has. And mine is a library system of the entire county, and it was lame as hell. And I'm like, 
this is a problem. Someone should probably yeah. do something about this. <laughs> are, are lacking severely. It's like it's looking atrocious, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, those those well, that's my recommendations. And I think I'm gonna keep it to just one for now for me. So that's the episode. That is the Lavender Menace episode. I hope you yes. all enjoyed it. You should follow us on Twitter and Instagram for at the Lavender Pod on at the Twitter. Lavender Menace podcast everywhere Pod. essentially. And you can email yeah. us your hot takes at the Lavender Menace podcast at gmail.com. And Please you can do. subscribe to my YouTube channel where I talk about books at a sunny book nook. And yeah. Oh, and become a You're patron if you want You're now a to. sunny book nook across. Oh yeah, please become a patron. Um, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of exciting Patreon content when we are both together IRL because we will mm-hmm. be able to make things together yeah. IRL. <laughs> right. And the video footage will be better <laughs> IRL exactly. as well for you to enjoy. And you can follow me on Twitter at Renaissance First Days and X, which apparently all the haters have my handle memorized, so you can too as a fan. It's the truth. It's the truth. And okay. my Instagram is at Renaissance Marie. And that's all. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bizu.